Good to see you here today. So, once again, how many people graduated? How many graduates do we have in the house? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Good, good. We got two in the room right now. Now, how many parents had kids who graduated? Raise your hand. You're a parent here and you had a kid who graduated. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Hey, Amani's mom. Wonderful. God bless you. Grandmother. Oh, snap. You look young for a grandmother. <laughs> God bless you. Welcome. Good to have you here today. So, uh, my daughter graduated from preschool on Thursday night. Praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, they got up there, and they had all the kids up there on the platform, and they did the Pledge of Allegiance, the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, and then they Pledge Allegiance to the Bible, and then they Pledge Allegiance to the Gospel, and then they sang God Bless America, and they sang a couple worship songs, and then the, the director of the preschool said, we've got a special treat for the kids and for the parents, and uh, they said, kids, we want you to sing along, and they hit play in the back, and the music came on, you know what it is, right? Let it go, let it go. As soon as they turned that on, the kids went crazy. They went nuts. And my daughter was up there with Annabelle going, let it go, let it go. I mean, it was, after it was all over, we got in the car to drive here to church, and my daughter's in the backseat going, that was crazy. That was crazy. We sang let it go at my graduation. I can't wait to tell my friends at Living Hope. That was crazy. Four and a half years old. She's a little diva. She's got a little diva in her. Uh, so we missed Thursday night service. Uh, we got here at the end of it. We got here at the, at the end of it. We got here. Pastor Daniels was laying it on thick. And so uh, if you missed Thursday night's message, you got to get it. I still got to get it. I don't even know what he was talking about, but I walked in and he was laying it on thick. And so what was he talking about? First daylight and fourth daylight. Yeah, it, it was some revelation. It was deep. <laughs> It was good. So that's on our website. It's free. How many have seen our new website? Livinghopecc.us. You've got to check it out. Our website is great. Announcements. If you miss any of those announcements, just go to our website, livinghopecc.us. Want to download any of our sermons? You can stream them on our website. You can download them from our website. You can leave a comment. I want all of you to leave comments if you can. If you think about it, if you hear the message online, just leave a comment there. What it does, that's a way of being a witness because other people, they come to our website, they see the message, and they see that our people are commenting there on the website, and it just encourages them. Wow, the people are really active and involved. So it's great. If you can check that out, if you get a chance to check that out. Also, uh, like us on Yelp and Facebook. Uh, leave a review on Yelp. You know how powerful Yelp reviews are? Okay, I, I, that's enough marketing. I just wanted to um, <laughs> give you that word. We are in the midst of our family one thing, and today is part four of our nine-part series on the family. Part four of our nine-part series on the family. And I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, beginning at verse 14, and we're going to look at verses 14 and 15 of Joshua chapter 24, and as you're turning there, I want you to know that the title of my message today is Faith for a Family Revival. Faith for a Family Revival. And this is what the, the scripture says. Joshua says to the people of Israel, now therefore fear the Lord Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. 
But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, I pray today that as we turn our hearts to your word, that you would enlighten us by the power of your spirit, that you would give us clarity, and that you would give us resolve. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you today about revival. And in order to talk to you about revival, I've got to talk to you about the kingdom of God. Because the concept of revival and the concept of the kingdom of God are inseparable. They're inseparably connected. If you want to understand what revival is, the phenomenon that we call revival, you must understand the kingdom of God. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, the scripture speaks of the creation of man. And the scripture says, God made man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And we talked about the nature and essence of God's blessing. It was either last Sunday or the Sunday before. He blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Take dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air. So the content of blessing is fruitfulness and multiplication. But then God tells them, fill the earth and subdue it. Why does he say subdue it? He says, take dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And the reason he commands them to subdue and to take dominion is because he knew that there would be resistance against their obedience to the command to be fruitful. That is, he knew that there would be forces that would resist the blessing that God gave them. See, we must understand the way things are supposed to work. And I talked about that last week. The way it's supposed to work is that you're supposed to be fruitful in everything you do. The way it's supposed to work is that what you try is supposed to succeed. The way it's supposed to work is that you're supposed to easily be able to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. The way it's supposed to work is you're supposed to be able to lay your hands on sick people and pray for them and they're supposed to be healed. The way it's supposed to work is whatever you ask for in Jesus' name is supposed to be given to you. But how many know that it doesn't always work out the way it's supposed to work? And matter of fact, the greatest struggle that we have as believers in Jesus Christ is experiencing over and over and over again that in my life it just does not work out the way it's supposed to work. This works for everybody else, but it does not work for me. And the reason is that there is opposition against you. God gives you his blessing, but the enemy is opposing his blessing. And when the blessing of God begins to flow through your life, we're talking about the inbreaking of God's kingdom. That is, when God blesses and increases you, He is blessing and increasing His kingdom. Why? Because whatever is in obedience to God is, is an expression of His kingdom. And wherever you are seeking to be blessed, you are seeking to be blessed on behalf of the kingdom of God. And so you must understand that none of your activities are purely natural in nature. But there is a supernatural, spiritual dimension to everything you do because you are a child of God, you are a son of the king or a daughter of the king, and because of that, you are an expression of his kingdom in the earth. And so when the enemy opposes you, he is opposing the inbreaking of God's kingdom. So I want you to think about Guillermo Perez over there, the proud owner of Sliver Pizzeria. The enemy opposed 
Sliver Pizzeria, not because the enemy doesn't like pizza and doesn't want pizza in Berkeley. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's good. The enemy comes against Guillermo, not because he's an anti-pizza demon. The devil doesn't care anything about pizza. Yeah. But before Guillermo was there, there was a secular business there. No kingdom mindedness on that block, on that street. That space was used simply to line the pockets of man with wealth. That is, mammon was being served in that spot. But when Willie Perez came in and took over that place, he took dominion over that spot and he increased and multiplied there. Now he uses that spot to exchange slices of pizza for money. And he takes that money and he puts it into the kingdom of God. So now on that block in Berkeley, California, you've got an expression of the kingdom of God called Sliver Pizzeria. Because one man decided to be fruitful and multiply there. And he made a decision not to bow down to the oppression of the enemy that sought to stop him in his tracks. And so Willie had to understand that the opposition that came both from inside and outside was not leveled against pizza. The devil's not trying to stop you from making pizza. He's trying to stop you from taking the proceeds of the pizza and putting it into the kingdom. And at every step, Willie's going to have to make a decision to ward off, to attack the powers of darkness that will seek to stunt the growth of his business. Because the more his business grows, the greater his capacity for feeding the kingdom. You see? And so the enemy is attacking you in the workplace. Why? Because you're an expression of the kingdom of God. Because the enemy knows that if you are allowed to succeed in the workplace, you're going to put clothes on the backs of the naked. You're going to put food in the mouths of the hungry. You're going to fund missions to the end of the world. You're going to build up the house. The enemy knows that if you're allowed to succeed the way you're supposed to succeed, you're going to take that success and direct it towards building the kingdom of God. And the inbreaking of the kingdom of God is revival. Revival is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. That it is the, it is the removal of of everything that would oppose what God wants. The kingdom of God is what God wants. Whenever what God wants gets done, that's the kingdom of God. If God wants healing, but no healing occurs, the kingdom of God was stopped at the door. But if God wants healing and healing occurs, then the kingdom of God was made manifest. Remember in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was casting out demons and the Pharisees accused him. They said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, you're casting out demons. And Jesus said, let's think about the logic of that statement for a second. If I, by Satan, cast out Satan, then his kingdom is divided against itself and it cannot stand. But if I, by the finger of God, cast out demons among you, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So he says, your thesis that Satan is casting out Satan doesn't make any sense. But my thesis is that God is casting out Satan. And when God casts out Satan, the kingdom of God has come upon you. That is, God's rule and reign has manifested at this particular place in the earth. And so what God wants is for his kingdom to manifest in particular places in the earth. And wherever his kingdom touches down, opposition is moved out of the way. We've got the phenomenon that we call revival. Amen. 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 And so I want to announce to you today that there's going to be a revival in the land. 
there's going to be a revival in the land. When I'm talking about revival, I'm not talking about coming to church every night for a long time. Because, see, I didn't like the word revival when I was a little kid. Because it meant we're going to be at church for a long time. See, my grandmother used to preach revivals all over the United States, and I would travel with her. And for an 11-year-old boy, revival in the church of God in Christ was not a whole lot of fun. Because we got to church about 6 p.m. and got out of there at midnight every single night for as long as the revival tarried. Revival is not a bunch of people screaming. Revival is not hooping and hollering and dancing and shouting and acting a fool. Although that's not a bad thing. Hello, you got to get your shout on sometimes. Sometimes a shout is a, is a manifestation of revival because you get your shout on when you get free from something that held you back up until this day. Sometimes it's a sign that you just got hit with revival. But revival is always a tangible manifestation of the kingdom of God. We're not just shouting. We're shouting because of what God just did. That is when the opposition is removed and suddenly God's power begins to break out among us. Blind eyes are open. Now that's revival. When the power of God breaks out among us and cancer falls out of people's bodies. Now that's revival. Meaning there's no hindrance to what God wants to do in the house because revival comes. And when revival comes upon a city, suddenly throughout the city, you see that God's purposes, they happen easily. There's no opposition. God's removed the opposition. When revival hit the city of Savinus in France in the early 1700s, children were walking through the streets prophesying over people and they were falling out under the power of God because seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds were prophesying to them. Now that's revival. When revival hit in, in 1801, the, the, uh, in, in, um, uh, I'll, I'll remember the name of it, but it happened in 1801 in, in, this, in the South, the, the pe- thousands of people gathered outdoors to hear people preach. And these were people who didn't know Jesus. And the fear of the Lord would fall on them in the middle of the meeting. And they, the Cane Ridge Revivals of 1801. They would turn and run for their lives. And the preachers would testify that they would look and see people running. And one by one they would fall as if being shot down by a sniper. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit up in heaven going, I got him. Pow! 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 And they would fall to the ground and they would wig out. They would shake. They're getting delivered. And then they would get up and run all the way back with tears in their eyes and they would testify they met Jesus out there in the field by themselves. That's revival. Revival is when God begins to do by his sovereignty what we seek to do by our intentionality. See, I'm going to pray for you to hopefully you get healed. Oh, God, heal them. That's my intentionality. But when revival hits, you get healed and I didn't even do. No, you got healed and nobody laid hands on you. You got filled with the Holy Spirit. Nobody was whispering in your ear. You got saved and nobody preached the gospel to you. Why? Because the kingdom of God has come upon us. And that is revival. Think about it. The kingdom of God is an extended revival. Because when we get to heaven, ain't nothing happening but God's kingdom. Eternally. Extended into perpetuity. Heaven is revival in perpetuity. (laughs) Continual, eternal revival. That's what heaven is. Eternal revival. And he told us to pray for revival when he taught his disciples to to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, whatever God wants done is done. He never even gets up from his throne to do it. He just sits on his throne and says, man, I wish I had a Coke. Oh, look at that. There's a Coke. 
I think I'd like some lobster. Oh, lobster. There, I'm talking about what the, what the dude wants done gets done. If he says it, but earth is the realm of resistance. God says, I wish men would live holy. And the world says, well, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to live foul and filthy. There's all kinds of opposition against the will of God. And the opposition against the will of God is both human and demonic. And there's this, this fellowship between the human and the demonic to oppose the flow of the will of God. And so Jesus taught his disciples, you're going to learn how to take dominion. And you're going to take dominion by praying this prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in praying that prayer, what we are praying for is the removal of everything that opposes the will of God in the earth. Everything that opposes. You want to talk about physical healing? Physical healing is not just a gift that a few men and women have. Physical healing is who God is. He's said, I am the Lord who heals you. When revival comes, God begins to heal because he's in the room. Not because somebody laid, I'm talking about the removal of everything that would hinder the free flow of the spirit of God. Now, when we first planted Living Hope Christian Center, I cried out to God. I said, God, you got to give me strength because this is going to be so hard. And the Lord spoke to me and said, no, son, it's going to be easy. No, son, it's going to be easy. And now I understand what God meant because the last 10 years have been harder than anything I've ever had to do in my life. I didn't understand what God meant. What he was promising was revival. He was promising, yes, it's going to be difficult, but revival's going to come. And when revival comes, it's going to be easy. I'm telling you that we can struggle in our effort to do things and make almost no progress. You can struggle for 10 years to do something that God can do in a moment. When revival comes, he takes over. And all of a sudden, he overtakes the progression. You're pushing that flywheel, and you already have have charted the course. You're driving. I know I'm going 65 miles an hour. i got to go 300 miles. It's going to take me about five hours to get there. God says, "Uh uh-uh, revival's about to come. I'm about to divinely accelerate your progress. I'm going to take you in a few minutes what would have taken you a few months to do. I'm going to do it in a moment. That is revival. What I want to ask you today is, do you believe for revival? Are you believing for revival? Are you, do you believe that there's going to be a revival in the land? Come on, just say it. There's going to be a revival in the land. There's going to be a revival in the land. And that is the promise of God. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. That's a promise. Revival is coming. When Jesus comes, revival comes. When Jesus comes, the king comes. And when the king comes, the kingdom comes. And when the kingdom comes, revival comes. We have a promise that revival is coming. The only problem, the only problem is that as excited as we get about it and as much as we say we believe it, we actually don't believe it. Or at least we believe it in certain contexts, but we have a lot of trouble believing it in other contexts. We believe it in certain contexts that are outside of our control. But we don't believe it in contexts that are inside of our control. And in actuality, if I were to tell you that revival was coming to the church, that'd be real easy for you to believe. Folks walk in here all the time. It never ceases to make people who just got here. Don't know anything about our history or what we've been through. And they walk, whoo, the presence of God is in this house. You're going to have a thousand people in the next six months. People prophesy revival. And don't, don't get me wrong. I love that. I love hearing that. That's great. People can feel the rise of the spirit of God. You walk into the church. You're like, we're about to have us a revival. But then you go home and your whole family's falling apart. And you don't believe for nothing to change there. 
Because we know God wants to send revival, but we think he wants to keep it in the four walls of the church. It's, revival is not just about the church growing. Yeah, yeah. Revival is not just about people getting saved and adding butts and seats and dollars in the plate. Revival is not just bigger buildings, more, you know, better worship, bigger services, more excitement in the house. Because, listen, we've had enough excitement in the house to last us for the next 20 years. What we need is excitement in the home. And when I say there's going to be a revival in in the land, I mean that first and foremost, there's going to be revival in your house. Now look at Joshua here in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, when Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's talking about himself. He's talking about his wife and he's talking about his kids and he's talking about his kids, kids for generations to come. And he says, as for me and my house, We are going to serve the Lord. Me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. How do you know that, Joshua? How do you know that? How can you tell what your kids are going to do when they get older? What if your kids don't want what you got? What if your kids don't want to walk in your ways? How how can you say that? Doesn't that seem to be a prideful thing to say? Shouldn't Joshua say, as for me and hopefully my family... We will serve the Lord, I hope. And actually, I can't even say I will serve the Lord, because what if I backslide? So ask for, well, hopefully. Well, I know God will be faithful. I can't promise I will. But as, well, as for, okay, some folks are going to serve the Lord somewhere. I hope I will serve the Lord. I'm going to try my best. By the grace of God to serve the Lord. But y'all know I might backslide at any time. So don't get too hopeful about me being a good example to you. Because you can't put your dependence upon man anyway. You're not supposed to be serving man. You're just serving God. So forget about what me and my, me and my household may fall apart. <laughs> we may not serve the Lord for another 45 minutes. Matter of fact, me and my wife might get a divorce. I don't know. My kids might become drug dealers. I don't know. What if Joshua started talking like that? If Joshua started talking all that foolishness, do you think anybody in Israel, but yet people are talking that way all the time in the body of Christ. Oh, I sure hope my kids serve the Lord when they get older. I hope. I hope. How come Joshua isn't hoping? He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I made a decision. We're going to serve the Lord. And do you think that means that Joshua had read every book on parenting that he could possibly read? In other words, did Joshua have the expertise to make that declaration? Do you think Joshua was saying, I have read 27 books on parenting. And based upon the expertise that I have obtained from these books, I also went to 17 conferences, 27 workshops. I have studied with the greatest parenting experts in the world. And I am fully confident that I am competent to raise my children now in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Absolutely not. You know what? I mean, you know, because if you read one parenting book, like, you know, when Alethea was born, we wanted to know how to put her to sleep. That's the biggest problem for a parent. Your child is born first. 
First problem, how to put them to sleep. Second problem, how to potty train them. Along with the first problem is how to get them to start talking, but then the second problem is how to get them to shut up. Because <laughs> once they start talking, they don't stop. <laughs> so we wanted to know, how do we get her to sleep? So we read the first book, and the first book said, let her cry it out. Put her in a soundproof room. Turn the music on loud. Lock the door. Turn on the TV. Turn on your surround sound. Drown her out. Let her cry it out. She'll have a couple of stressful nights, but she'll be all right after that. And by the way, if you don't cry, if you don't let her cry it out, she will be dependent on you for the rest of her life. You will debilitate her for the rest of her days. She will never be a functioning human being. You will have destroyed the future of your child if you don't let her cry it out. So let her cry it out or else she's going to hell. <laughs> she's going to grow up to be a criminal if you don't let her cry it out. And then you read the next book and it says, do not let your kids cry it out. If your child cries and you don't pick them up, they will never develop a secure attachment with you. And because they don't develop a secure attachment with you, they will never be able to function in society. They will do poorly in school. They will probably go to jail and become drug dealers and they'll go to hell. So if you, if you let your kids cry it out, you'll kill them. And so one book says, let them cry it out or you'll kill them. And the other one says, don't let them cry it out or you'll kill them. No matter what I do, I'm going to destroy my child's future. (laughs) You can read all the experts and be more confused than you were before you read the book. Let me tell you something. Reading is good and I I, I recommend it. You should try it sometime. I mean, you know, if you don't read, give it a try. You might learn something. That's good. Right? Okay, but there's something better than reading and research is called faith. Joshua was not speaking based upon personal competence. He was speaking based upon his faith. When he said, ask for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. He was speaking a declaration of faith. My children will serve the Lord. I believe it from the bottom of my heart and I'm never going to stop believing it. As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. And so God God today is calling us to come to a place of faith for a family revival. I'm not talking about faith for healing in the church. I'm talking about faith for healing in the home. Because you know what? We, We can believe for healings. If I were to call somebody up here right now and say, you got cancer, everybody stretch out your hand. There'd be Shandama bow ties happening all over this room. Some of y'all would be standing up in Jesus' name. Some of you would be, you'd think you're a Merlin. <laughs> All the magicians would come out. <laughs> but if somebody ever talked to you, say, man, you know, I'm having such a struggle with my wife. Good. Why don't you go home and talk to her about it tonight? Well, I don't think I can do that. How come? I don't think she'll hear me. Oh, so you can believe for cancer. You can't believe for a conversation with your wife. Hello? I got a friend, he's an evangelist, travels all over the world, ministers in great signs and wonders, mighty signs and wonders, gold dust appearing from heaven. I'm talking about, you know, like uh, the dead raised, blind seeing, lame walking, all of these miracles everywhere. But he wrote me and he said, you know what, at this point with my marriage, it's going to take a miracle. I said, well, that's great. Miracles are your business. That's what you do. You're a man of great signs and wonders. Miracles are no problem for you. You see like 10 miracles a day. You, you accidentally work miracles. 
You see miracles at Safeway. You can see one in your home. You can believe God for blind eyes. Believe God for your wife. Can you believe for your kids? Can you believe for your family? I'm talking about faith. I'm not talking about competence. Well, I need to learn how to be a better parent. Just believe more. Learn how to be a a parent who believes. All right? Now, let's break this open a little bit. Joshua says, as for me and my house. I want to talk about that word house for a minute. Because there are four connotations to the word house in Scripture. First of all, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse, uh, uh, <laughs> verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul said, if our earthly house, that is our physical body, if this earthly, listen, this is my house. This, this, all of this is my house. And my, and I've, I've been, you know, adding on to my house. I've added, you know, some folks live in a condo. I live in a palace, you know? I've been enlarging the place of my tent, stretching out the curtains of my dwellings. You know, I'm expanding to the right and to the left. You know, in my house are many rooms. <laughs> you know, but I do need to downsize, though. I need to move to a condo. So just pray. When you pray for me, say e condo. <laughs> you got to listen to your tongue your tongue is significant my wife was single until she was 29 and i used to say to her i used to say you know how come you can't find somebody you need to get married you're getting older she said i don't know and then we were praying together one day and she's praying in tongues she's going oh celibate 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 (laughs) i told her i said that's your problem right there The Lord gave you that tongue for a season. Now you need to ask him for a new tongue. And you know what? When God changed her tongue, (laughs) I was there all the time. (laughs) Moving on. Second Corinthians chapter five, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. Your first house is your physical body. Your physical body houses your soul and your spirit. Your soul is comprised of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your spirit is deeper than your soul. You can identify your soul by your thoughts and your feelings and your decisions. That is your soul. That's the realm of your soul, the operations of your soul. But you cannot identify your spirit. You can't say, oh, I felt that in my spirit. No, your spirit, you have no direct access to your spirit, but your spirit is the place where you have access to the realm of the spirit. And so when you experience the spirit of God, the presence of the spirit, the power of the spirit, when you begin to get a word from God, your spirit became one with God's spirit and you begin to, you begin to feel not your own spirit, but the spirit of God. Yeah. And it's the same thing if you connect with the demonic spirit. 
when whatever there's demonic manifestation it's the human spirit connected to a demonic spirit and so the human spirit is the place at which we have access to the spiritual realm but that is housed in your physical body now that does not mean that your physical body is just consequent is just inconsequential a lot of people go to funerals and say oh that's just his body no that's not just his body because at the last day, God's going to raise that body up out of the ground and change it from an earthly body to a heavenly body, but it's still your body. Right, right. Get used to that body because you're going to have it for a long time, mm-hmm. like eternal, eter- in eternity. Amen. In other words, you're not going to be in heaven. You know how some of these movies where you were black on earth, you'd be Asian in heaven? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be black for a long time. <laughs> When I'm talking about your physical body, I'm talking about the realm of operations of your soul and your spirit. And in your physical body, first of all, serving God with your house yeah. is serving God with your physical body. When, yeah. when you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I mean, first of all, I'm going to serve the Lord with this physical body. Yeah. Now, the first house is where it all begins. If there's a problem in your second house, your second house is your family. If there's a problem in your second house, it's always because of a problem in your first house. See, we're always trying to fix the family without going back to fix. See, listen, I can't fix my family without fixing my personal relationship with God. If there's a problem between me and my lovely, beautiful, holy, and hot wife, the problem is not her. But I'm tempted to think she's the problem. Now, not now. We, everything's good, huh? But <laughs> we're doing good. But if there was a problem in our marriage, blaming her doesn't help. Even if it's her fault. Husbands, you need to hear this. You need to take the word fault out of your vocabulary. Because when it comes to marriage, you are in charge. And you cannot say you are in charge and not responsible. Because the minute I say it's her fault, I mean it's her responsibility. But it's not her responsibility. It's my responsibility. And so even if there's a problem between us, and even if in the natural realm she's the one who's wrong, I still need to take responsibility for her wrong. And I need to take that responsibility and go with my first house into the presence of God and talk to God about it. See, this is the thing. The first house is the key because the first house is the place where you have fellowship with God. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. And he would, what door is he talking about? Is he knocking? Is he knocking at the door of your physical house? He's knocking at the door of your first house that he's, he wants to come into your heart. He wants to dwell in your spirit. He wants to have fellowship with you there. And this is the key. Everything is solved in the first house. Husbands, wives. You got to get this parents. If you got a problem with your spouse, a lot of times talking to your spouse is not going to fix it. Go talk to God about it. When you talk to your spouse, be very gentle. Don't try to change them. You can't change them. And then go into the presence of God and get gangster. So your first house is your physical body. Your second house is your family. First Timothy chapter three, verse four. Uh, Paul says that the elder must be one who rules his own house. Well, 
having his children in submission with all reverence. Verse 5, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? And so the, your second house is your family. The second house is the place where you dwell with the members of your family. And the third house is the church, the house of God. The church is called the household of God. First uh, Timothy 3.15 He says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So the first house is your physical body. The second house is your family. The third house is the house of God, which is the local church. And so if you want, if you can always find, if there's a problem with the way you're acting in the third house, the problem's always in the second house. And if there's a problem with the way you're acting in the second house, the problem's always in the first house. And so we can deal with every problem. What I mean, think about this. Wives, if you're, see, my wife is really good at this. If I start acting up, if I'm not acting right, if I'm not myself, she doesn't try to change me. She just says, you need to go pray. <laughs> go get alone with God. And she doesn't say it judgmentally. She's saying, you need to take some time. Or she'll say, will you go sit down and talk to Pastor Daniels, please? <laughs> You don't even need to tell him what's going on. Just go hear from him. Just let him pour into you. You'll come home a changed man. I mean, if if we did that in marriage, and and I used to get mad when she'd say that. I used to get so mad. Oh, so what are you trying to say? I'm not spiritual? Well, obviously, you're acting a fool. (laughs) And I don't think the Holy Spirit is acting a fool. See, this is the thing you got to get in your head, is that when you're in the Spirit, you are as the Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit doesn't act a fool. And so when I'm acting a fool, I'm in the flesh. All right, moving on. So he says, as for me and my house, first of all, the first house is your physical body. The second house is your family. The third house is the local church, the house of God. And the fourth house is everything that you do in the world. And so everything you do in the world, your vocation, your education, you know, your mission, everything you do in the world is built on your relationship to the local church and everything you do in the local church is built on the relationships in your family and everything you do in the family is built on your personal relationship with God. And so it always comes back to your personal one-on-one relationship with God. And you can always adjust anything in any location, in any environment by going back and fixing and going deeper in your personal relationship with God. And so he says, as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. Now, I want to talk about that word serve for a second. The New Testament counterpart to the word serve here in the Old Testament is the word worship. And we need to talk for a minute about what worship is. Worship, there are two primary New Testament words for worship. The first is the word proskuneo. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well, and she says something to him, really trying to change the subject because he caught her. You know, he's like... Yeah, you ain't got no husband. You've had five husbands. She goes, well, should we worship on this mountain or the other mountain? She's trying to change the subject. He just got in too deep there, so she's trying to deflect. But she says, you know, our people say we should worship on this mountain. Your people say we should worship on that mountain. But when Messiah comes, he'll fix this this debate. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. The time is coming, and even now is, when the true worshipers will worship not on this mountain or that mountain, but the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit 
and in truth. For this is the kind of worshiper that the Father is looking for. In other words, worship is not locational. It doesn't have to do with where you are in your physical location. You can worship from any location you want. It's not about being here or being there. It's about your. It's about worshiping in spirit and in truth, meaning worshiping from the depth of your being. All right? Now, the word worship that Jesus uses there is proskuneo. Say proskuneo. Proskuneo, it means to lay prostrate. So if this were the ancient world and Emeryville had a king, if the king of Emeryville walked through that door, all of us immediately would get up out of our seats and lay prostrate on the floor. It's a symbolic act, and that symbolic act has significance. It means I surrender everything. So proskuneo is... it. it It is all of our symbolic acts of worship. So when we sing songs of worship, that's symbolic, right? The song says, I give you my life. But just because you sang the song doesn't mean you actually gave him your life. It symbolizes the fact that you've actually given him your life. And if it doesn't symbolize the fact that you've actually given him your life, it's not worship. It's just a song. You know, worship is not just singing the song, singing the words that come on a screen. Because you can tell, you know, where the real worshipers are. Because as soon as, as soon as the, the overhead guy makes a mistake and the words go blank. <laughs> how am I supposed to worship? No words on the screen. <laughs> we do need to fix the mistakes up there, though. But, but, what was, <laughs> but, but don't get it twisted. It's not about offering God words from a screen. It's, ask, it's offering God words from a heart. Yeah. That is submitted to him. It's in spirit and in truth. It's not this screen or that screen. We've replaced mountain with screen. And how do we know? Because the the average believer doesn't worship again until there's more words on the screen. Did you have any worship at home, in your car, on the way to work, on the way home? No, why? Ain't no words on the screen. How am I supposed to worship? (laughs) But worship in spirit and in truth takes the location out of it. Sunday morning service has become this mountain or that mountain. You know, do I worship at this church or that church? The father's wanting to know, are you going to worship in spirit? And spiritual worship transcends a location. It means that my worship doesn't stop because the service ends. It means I take my worship with me and I offer it to God wherever I go. That's proskuneo. Singing, Lord, I give you my heart. My daughter said the other day, she went with us to New Philly uh, for the retreat. And she said to Karina the other day, she said, the worship at New Philly was powerful. She's four years old. It was powerful. Really, why was it powerful? Because they shouted to the Lord. She said, we got to shout to the Lord. We got to shout to the Lord. And then in the car the day before, yeah, she just started shouting, shouting to the Lord. It sounded like nonsense. Oh, Lord, oh, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, she's shouting to the Lord. She's learning, you know, spiritual worship. Listen. There's some, listen, spiritual worship is not about tone quality. Hello? I mean, because some of y'all, if a, if a tune was drowning, you couldn't carry it out of the water. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, you couldn't carry a tune five feet. I was, I, you know, I went to the prayer chapel at the church that I grew up at yesterday. I just wanted to spend some time in prayer and I'm in there and I'm singing and I'm worshiping and I'm crying out to God. I had it all to myself. And then this old black African dude came walking in with a cane. And, and you know, I was a little disappointed, honestly, not because he was old black and African, but because I wanted the place to myself, you know, I, you know, you, you, you got that time to yourself, you know, and, but he sat down and immediately he began to pray and worship with me. 
We didn't know each other from Adam. That's what I love about spiritual worship is that if you're worshiping from your spirit and I'm worshiping from my spirit, suddenly we become, we begin to worship together and we didn't even intend to. And I was singing, you know, Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table and a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And he started singing that song with me. Only difference is I can actually sing. Thank you. No, I mean, I mean, the dude was not within a mile of the tone. He wasn't slightly flat. He was completely off the note. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. But you know what? It was in spirit and it was beautiful. It was in the spirit and so it was beautiful. And it was one of the most powerful times of worship. I love the fact that we were singing together, that we didn't know each other because the quality of our worship was not tonal. Because God is not in heaven going, that was out of tune. That was actually as good as any of us might think we sound compared to the angelic choir, compared to Michael and Gabriel and the end. Are you kidding me? I mean, if we were judged on tone, would none of us get, God wouldn't allow any of our worship in his presence. Think about it. I mean, if God was judging on tone, he'd be like, oh my God, turn that off. What is that? It's Living Hope Sunday morning service. Oh, turn it down. Horrible. Oh my goodness. Angels, start singing. Drown that stuff out. Drown that stuff out. To us, worship's a performance. To God, it's the expression of our hearts. And he drowns us out if it doesn't come from our heart. It can sound excellent from a human perspective of God says, turn that off. That's not spiritual. That doesn't come from the heart. That's not a spiritual act of worship. That's just a performance. And I don't need it. Performance doesn't impress me. But somebody who can't sing a lick, but is pouring out their heart to God. God says, ooh, turn that up. Turn that up. And turn down everything else. I want to hear that one. I want to hear that because it's coming from a heart that loves me. It's coming from a heart that's after me. I don't care about the tone quality. Amen. And so proskuneo, we need our proskuneo to burst out of the four walls of this building. You need to do some proskuneo in your car. Turn on some worship music. But listen, go beyond letting worship music play in the background. You know, my daughter has had worship music playing in her room since Sonny was pregnant with her. We started playing, and, you know, for the first four years of her life, we only played one song. (laughs) I love you, I love you, I love you. And if anybody came to our house at any any given time during that four years, you heard that song playing, because it played 24 hours a day, seven, we go on vacation and let that song keep playing. Just to fill her room with worship. We're just going to make sure her room is filled with the presence of the Lord. And she started singing that song before she could really talk well. Because it was plain, she heard it in the womb. We would just put the speaker in the wombs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now she's got her little iPod set up on a dock. She can choose whatever song she wants, and she doesn't play that one anymore. Because, you know, Charles and Sarah were living with us. They're like, can we stop playing that song? Driving me crazy. God is tired of hearing that song. <laughs> can you imagine if God got tired of worship sometimes? Be like, angels, can you say anything other than holy? All right, already. I know I'm holy. (laughs) Oh, Lord. 
I'm engaging in foolishness. So, so we need our proskuneo to burst the forth. You got to take your proskuneo with you. Yeah. You need to sing. Yeah. You need to sing out loud yeah. and not just let it dribble out of your mouth. <laughs> you know, you just mouthing <laughs> lip syncing worshipers out there, you know. You see those lip syncers out there in the house that, you know, you t- just turn. Sometimes I turn around just to look. No, I'm not looking for y'all. <laughs> I'm just looking to see, you know, sometimes my wife and I turn and look. We're looking to see if the spirit of God is, is speaking. You know, we're looking for a prophetic word, not to count the people or see how many people are here. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, there's, there's lip syncers, you know, they turn, the words are there and you're just lipping them. No sound coming out, just lip syncing, you know, speak, just come out, come out with it. This is not a silent movie. God is watching and he does not want to watch a silent movie. Some of y'all, God's going, wait, turn that up. Wait, turn it up. Wait, turn it up. Turn it high. God is all the way up. (laughs) So, it's getting late. Your proskuneo has to burst the bounds, okay? Take it into your home. Get your family together and worship together at home. Okay? All right. Now, the second form of worship is latreia, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of latreia, of worship. Other translations say service, serve. You know, we call this a worship service. Which service are you going to? I'm going to first service. I'm going to second service. Why do you think we call it a service? See, most, th- most believers think we call it a service because we think we're coming to be served. Mercy. I go to that church to see what kind of worship they're going to serve me. Uh-oh. I go to see what kind of music they're going to serve me. What kind, of, uh, what kind of programs the church is going to serve me. I want to see what they got for my kids. I want to see what they got for, for families. I want to see what they got for married couples. I want to see what they got for college students. I want to see, and we're looking to be served. But it's not called a worship service because we're here to serve you. I mean, we are here to serve you secondarily. It's called a worship service because it's an opportunity for all of us to serve God. God is the one we serve in the service. We're coming into his service, not our service. And we need not to get that twisted. Now, the thing we must understand is that from an Old Testament perspective, Latreia was the work of the priesthood. If you were not a priest, you could not participate in Latreia. The 12 tribes of Israel, one of them was called the Levites, and the Levites were the ones that did Latreia. They served the Lord. The Levites were responsible for the tabernacle, which was the church building, basically. They were responsible for the upkeep of the tabernacle. They were the facilities team. They were the ushers. They were the greeters. They cleaned the bathrooms. They were the worship team. They were the preachers. They were the ones that that took your sacrifice at the door. Did you know if you were of the other 11 tribes, you couldn't offer a sacrifice to God? You could bring a sacrifice and give it to a priest. And the priest would receive it from your hand and the Levite priest would kill it. Go to Leviticus chapter 1 and just look at it. The priest would sacrifice your sacrifice. And the priest would lay it on the altar before God. It was the priest. Why? The priest lived a lifestyle called latreia, service to God. Meaning service to God was not simply a rotation. It wasn't just, all right, I'll serve the children's ministry once a month. Okay, I'll be an usher. No, Latreia was a lifestyle of service to God. And so Paul says, all of us, when he tells us that we should, we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices, he's saying all of us are priests. 
Because you can't offer anything to God unless you're a priest. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that you're a royal priesthood, meaning every single one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ are priests. You say, well, I'm the father. I'm the priest of my household. My wife is the priest of our household too. And my four-year-old daughter is a priest of our household. Whoever you are, you are the priest of your household. And you can believe. Now, this is the key. I've got to bring it in for a landing because I've, I've gone longer than I anticipated. I looked at last Sunday. I preached for an hour and 18 minutes. Oh, Lord. I didn't realize it. I'm sorry. I'm learning. <laughs> I'm getting the hang of this thing. Everything I've said boils down to this. You've got to learn to be like Joshua. When Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, he means two things. We will proskuneo and two, we will latreia. We will proskuneo as a house. We're going to come together. We're going to have family worship times together. We're going to sing his praises together. We're going to share the word of the Lord together. We're going to study the Bible together. As for me and my house, we will proskuneo. And secondly, as for me and my house, we will latreia. We're going to find a way to serve the Lord together. We're going to do more than sing. We're going to bring him more than a song. But we're going to serve the Lord together. We're going to find something to do both in the house of God and outside of the house of God. Because latreia is when I'm at the mall. I'm serving the Lord. And I'm, I'm, I'm staying, I'm maintaining my connection to the Lord. Lord, what do you want done here in the ball? And that's when the kingdom begins to break out, when every member of the house of God begins to live lives of proskuneo and latreia, offering up our worship to God, both in our singing and our worshiping, our praying, but also living lives of service to God. Now, the heart of my message is this. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What What the Spirit of God is looking for today is a declaration, a resolve. We will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not I hope we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. You say, well, how do you mandate that declaration? You ma- it's not enough to make the declaration and go on about your business. Because a lot of believers are commanding this to happen and commanding that to happen and declaring this and decreeing this. And it sounds powerful, but until you go into your prayer closet and back it up, and pray it through, you're not going to see anything happen. It's not enough for me to say, my child is going to serve the Lord unless I go into my prayer closet and begin to mandate that in prayer. And this is the key. Even if my child begins to go off track, because the fact of the matter is, you know, my brother, first of all, my dad walked away from Christ when I was two years old. He walked away. And he went out into the world. He started living however he wanted to live. And people started telling my mom to let him go. People started telling my mom, you know what? Get rid of him. Matter of fact, even a pastor told my mom, let him drop till he drops off. And the Lord spoke to my mom and said, don't you dare let that man go. Don't you dare let that man go. Your children need that man. And you need that man. And I have a plan for that man. And she said, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, pray him through. For 11 years, she prayed and believed. And she would say, my husband's going to serve the Lord. My husband's going to serve the Lord. But she wouldn't just say it. I would hear her in the living room. And I was only six or seven years old. I'd hear her in the living room weeping and wailing before the Lord and crying out to God. And he'd be out with his friends and doing his thing. And she's crying out to God. Oh, God, Lord, bring my husband back. Save my husband. And I'd hear her weeping and wailing. I'd come in the living room. Mommy, are you okay? And she'd look at me and smile. Everything's fine, son. Tears running down her face. Everything's fine, son. I'm fine. I'm fine. Go back to bed. Everything's fine. And I'd go back. Oh, Lord. And she's crying out to God. You know what? 
I heard her crying out to God for my dad. I started crying out to God for my dad. I saw her example. She wasn't talking bad about him to her friends. She wasn't talking bad about him to her children. Think if she would have told us, yeah, your delinquent daddy ain't here for you. What if she talked that way about our daddy? We never would have believed for our daddy. We'd be mad at our daddy to this day. And he never would have come back. No, she honored him. But in the prayer closet, she went to war on his behalf. And so we started going to war. I remember I took over prayer meetings at our church at like six years old, seven years old. I'd go into the prayer meeting. They're praying. And the pastor would say, let's all pray for Sister Cabbage, who has a, you know, (laughs) Sister Cornbread has a hangnail. And I would take over the prayer meeting. I'd be, oh, God, save my daddy. And the whole church would go, oh, yes, Lord. And they'd all go, oh, God, save him. I'd be screaming and yelling and crying out to God on behalf of my daddy. And the whole church would start praying for my daddy. The whole church would start praying for my daddy. She prayed him back into the kingdom. It took 11 years. But she prayed him back into the kingdom. After 11 years, I looked up one Friday night at church service and he was running down to the altar with his face in his hands and tears falling from his face. And he fell on his face and he gave his life back to God. And he served God ever since and now he's a pastor. Why? Because she would not let him go because she made a decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then my brother Josh went crazy. I mean, just decided he wanted to be a thug. By about the 10th grade, thug life. You know, he used a hot box. You know what hot boxing is? I was driving down the street one day and I saw his car parked on the side of the road. And the Shekinah glory filled his car. It was a cloud of smoke, just filled his car. And so I thought, What in the world? I mean, you couldn't see any being in the car. It was just window to window smoke. So I thought, what in the world is going on? I went and knocked on his window and all of a sudden the window went down and I stepped over like this and billows of smoke were coming out and all of a sudden his kid came out. He went, what's up, bruh? (laughs) And you know what I did? I tried to talk to him about his life. Don't you know that you're not living right? You think that worked? He didn't want anything to do with me. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. (laughs) He was smoking blunts about that big. (laughs) I remember I went to a movie. I went to a movie. And I, I'm in college at this time. This is, so this is like 18 years ago. I went to a movie, and I heard these guys just acting a fool in the movie, screaming at the screen, messed up the whole movie experience for everybody in there, yelling and screaming, you know. And when it was all over, the lights came up. I looked over. It was my brother. <laughs> and I walked out, and he didn't see me. I walked out in the hallway, and I waited. And he came out. I'm like, hey, bro, how you doing? He goes, hey, hey, I got to go to the bathroom real quick. I'll be right back. And he and his friends turned around and went back that direction. I stood there for about 30 minutes. And then I walked in. He was gone. And later I asked him, I said, what happened that night? He goes, when I saw you, I took off the opposite direction. We went back into the theater, out the emergency exit, and we, we bounced. He's like, I did not want to see you. I did not want to be around you. Why? Because I knew you were going to preach me a sermon or try to lay hands on me. Let me pray for you right now. <laughs> Father, I rebuke this marijuana spirit. <laughs> this 
Bob Marley spirit come out of him. <laughs> you know what I learned from my mom? I watched the way my mom dealt with my dad. I watched the way my mom dealt with my brother. And she never tried to persuade either of them to change anything they were doing. She went before the Lord. And she cried out to God. The mistake I made with my brother was I tried to change him. I tried to get him saved. I tried to fix him. And he didn't want anything to do with me. And finally I realized that I was pushing him away. And that I might never get him back. And so I completely backed off. The Lord told me, stop trying to preach to him and just love him. And so I just started loving him. And then I started to pray. One night at 1 a.m., the Lord woke me up. He was about 19 years old at the time. The Lord woke me up, said, go into his room. I went into his room. The Lord said, pray over his bed. I said, what do I pray? The Lord said, whatever is in your heart. Put my hands on his bed. I said, Lord, rob him of sleep on this bed. Give him a stone for a pillow until he gets his life right with you. That next morning, he'd asked me to wake him up at 8. I opened the door. He was on the floor. I said, what are you doing on the floor? I couldn't sleep on that bed. (laughs) I came in at 3 a.m. I just tossed and turned. I was so disturbed. Finally, I just got down on the floor and went straight to sleep. I said, huh, interesting. (laughs) He slept on the floor for two weeks, and then he got his life right with God. The Lord met him powerfully, and he went home and climbed in his bed and went straight to sleep. Isn't it interesting that talking to God was more powerful than talking to him? Making the decision, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, is making a decision as long as it takes, I'm going to continue to believe and I'm going to continue to pray. Because listen, some of you can go home right now and start having family prayer meetings. And if you can do that, do it. Some of you can go home right now and get your family together. Say, you know what? We're going to start praying as a family every night. Even if it's 15, 20 minutes, we're going to turn on a worship CD or pull out a guitar. And some of you are single, do it by yourself. Listen, because if you don't establish the habit of doing it by yourself, it's going to be real hard to establish the habit once you do have a family. Establish the habit of spending time with God. See, the problem in the church is not that we don't know how to connect with God. The problem is we don't know how to connect with God consistently. Because you can have an, a you can have a power encounter fall on the floor. Uh, somebody was coming out. Somebody was coming out of one of our services. A big piece of lint in his hair because he had fallen out on the floor and was rolling around and got something in his hair. <laughs> you know what I mean? But no lint in your hair at home. You only get lint in your hair at the church. But you know, some of you, if you went home and told your wife we're going to have a time of prayer, she'd laugh at you. I mean, keep it real. Some of you, you go to your wife and say, we're going to have prayer tonight. She'd go, you lead us in prayer? Ha, 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 How are you going to lead us in prayer? You're the most carnal person I know. I mean, some of you, you might have that experience. Yeah. They might not say it that way, but they might just go, Psh, please. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Don't get discouraged. Yeah. Don't get discouraged. Make the decision. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that means I'm going to pray. Go into the first house. Maybe it's just my first house. Maybe I'll have a prayer meeting with me, myself, and I. A fellowship between my body, my soul, and my spirit. 
meeting with the Spirit of the living God. Maybe that's the prayer meeting, just me meeting with God. But I'm going to believe that I'm going to bring my family into it one by one. Why? Because God wants to take us to the place where we have faith for a family revival. Faith for a family revival. God wants revival to hit your family, not just to the church, not just the city, not just the mission field, not just Thailand, not just Ethiopia, your house. There's going to be revival at your house. And it's every one of your family. And you know what? Even if your children have gone astray and they've gone out into the world and they're living crazy, you pray them back into the kingdom. Even if they've been scattered to the first. And listen, you got to come out of that condemnation and shame because condemnation and shame will debilitate you. You're walking around going, I did it wrong and I wasn't a good enough parent and I should have done this. And let's shake all of that stuff off. God is not about blaming you because you know what? It's not over. Your kids are not dead yet. So as long as they're not dead, you keep believing and you keep praying and you keep standing. Make that declaration in the prayer closet. My kids will serve the Lord. Amen. If your spouse is not walking with God, you pray them into the kingdom. If your kids are not walking with God, you pray them into the kingdom. And if you're not walking with God, you come on into the kingdom. I'm telling you, it's time to come into the kingdom. I'm telling you that the kingdom of God is coming, but you better get on board. Amen. Amen. All right, bow your heads. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. God, give us faith. Give us faith. God, there's so much discouragement in this room. We can be encouraged when we come into the four walls of the church, but discouraged when we go home to the four walls of our homes. So spiritual at the altar. So carnal in the bedroom. But God, I pray for a revival, not simply in the sanctuary at the church. I pray for a bedroom revival. I pray for a living room revival. A revival in the kitchen. A laundry room revival. I'm talking about a revival of the Holy Spirit that hits every home. A revival of the Holy Spirit that restores broken families. A revival of the Holy Spirit that calls wayward sons and daughters to repent and come back into the faith. I'm talking about a revival of the Holy Spirit that begins with the removal of discouragement from every heart. Because God, there's some in this place right now that are discouraged. Discouraged about what's happened in our families. Discouraged about our marriages. Discouraged about our relationships with our children. Discouraged. Father, today in the name of the Lord Jesus, I take authority over every power of discouragement. I take authority over every power of hopelessness. And I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would connect every heart to the, to the promise. The promise that the King is coming. He is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. He is coming. I pray that times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Father and that you would send Jesus whom the heavens must receive into the appointed time. I pray, God, that you would invade every household, that you would invade every family, that you would invade every child, every parent, O God, that you would invade every heart, O God. I pray for the inbreaking of your kingdom. Not just within these four walls. I pray for a revival that doesn't need a worship team on the platform, that doesn't need a preacher in a pulpit. The kingdom of God. And I declare the gospel that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God is at hand means that there's hope for your household. It means there's hope for your family. 
I break every power of shame. Some of you feel like I'm so incompetent. I've tried so many times to establish prayer in my home and I couldn't do it. Well, let me tell you something. It's not over yet. Try again. But keep believing God. And don't be discouraged. And you got to break off every power of rejection because you stop in your tracks if you feel like your wife rejected you. You stop in your tracks if you feel like your children rejected you. You know what? Children, even if you live in a home with your parents, you can do this with your parents. You can go to your parents and say, you know what? Let's have a prayer time together. Let's have a worship time together. Let's do it in the home. They might look at you like you're crazy. They might not even know the Lord. But you know what? You just go have that time of prayer by yourself and you believe. And you believe. And your fellowship with one another. Begin to utilize the strength of one another. Say, pray with me for my family. And I'll pray with you for yours. Help me believe for my spouse. And I'll help you believe for yours. Help me believe for my children. And I'll help you believe for yours. Some of you feel like you've lost your kids. It is not over. It is not over. I command your hearts to begin to believe again for your children. Do not let them go. I don't care what they've done or where they've gone. I don't care what's come between you. You make a decision. They're going to serve the Lord. And then you mandate that decision in prayer. Every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. Nate Bartlett, restoration is coming with your son. It is coming with your son. It is coming with your son. God has heard the cry of your heart. I give you a new level of hope and faith to pray that thing through. Your son is going to serve the Lord. He's going to serve the Lord. He's going to serve. I'm believing with you. I'm connecting my faith to your faith right now. I'm believing with you. Everybody get a hold of that faith. Get a hold of that faith. Who do you need to believe for in your family? Shake off unbelief. Shake off that unbelief. Shake off that discouragement. Shake off that despair. Shake it off. Shake it off. You say, well, I'm so unspiritual. Listen, you can become spiritual in a moment. It's about simply trusting God again. Simply trusting God again. Trusting God. Believing God. Believing God. Picking up hope. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews 6.19. God wants to anchor your soul in hope. Your greatest enemy is hopelessness. And if you become hopeless about your family, God wants to set you free from that. Because you know you're in the flesh whenever you feel like you're facing an insurmountable obstacle. The Holy Spirit does not face any insurmountable obstacles. Nothing is too difficult for God. And when you come into the Spirit, you'll begin to look at the members of your family, even if they've been scattered to the furthest heaven, and you begin to believe. Nothing is impossible with God. And you'll begin to prophesy over that one. Say, he's going to serve the Lord. She's going to serve the Lord. She's going to serve the Lord. He's going to serve the Lord. And you keep speaking to the wind. You keep prophesying to the bones and you keep crying out to God, mandating it in the prayer closet. Your family's going to serve the Lord. Your family's going to serve the Lord. Your family, come on, just begin to speak it. Ask for me in my house. We will serve the Lord. Come on, don't lip sync it now. Don't lip sync it. Speak it with boldness. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on, stand on your feet and declare it. As for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. Come on, begin to declare it.